on this episode of Of Mechs and Men. Grayson says open sesame, Delaney holds the door, and Marinov gets marinated. Hello, this is Of Mechs and Men, a Battletech book club. I am Kanan Hill, joined, as usual, by my two good friends, Brent. It's me, Brent. And Aaron. It's me, Aaron. How we doing, boys? Well, I'm hungry now. <laughs> well, that's good, because this week, we're chewing through chapters 25 through 30 of the book we've been working through. The Price of Glory, by... William H. Keith Jr. Let's get into it. Chapter 25. We open with the shot of the Grey Death Legion traveling up the dry riverbed. We learn that when Grayson returned, after they all had a little celebration, he told everyone that Duke Recall was going to help them. And they're like, huh? Duke Recall? But Grayson, you hate Curedans. And Grayson's like, not anymore, I don't. (laughs) He gathers them all around. Grayson tells them all about how Duke Recall is going to send a bunch of his guys and help them take the dropships back. Grayson is worried that they'll have to do it soon because once Lord Garth arrives and realizes they haven't taken the bait, he might just kill everyone. They get some volunteers for the mission and they put together a plan. They got to move tonight. Tracy Kent insists on going because she wants her Phoenix Hawk back. She wants that dutiful daughter. She's so worried about it. Grayson sends the team off under the command of Lieutenant Delaney and Sergeant Burns. Then after they all leave, Grayson crawls back into the hovercraft next to Allard King and goes back to sleep. And King goes back to driving. (laughs) I do like how in this setup, after they mentioned Duke Recall, and everybody was like shocked at first, they immediately went back like, Grayson set up this plan. Okay, we're going to follow his lead here. If Grayson says it's okay, Duke Recall must be a pretty cool guy. All right. Yeah. Grayson wakes up just as they're passing the remains of the old Freeport. This is where he learns that Graf ran away, and he's like, well, he figures Graf can't go back to Rachan since he squealed, right? And he's like, if he goes back, And he tells him that what he told us will just kill him. But there's nothing really he can do about it now. Fifteen hours after they've left Durandell, they arrive at the cliff Grayson had seen on the map. It's a valley about 10 meters wide with 50 meter high walls. And at the end stands the wall. So we're here. We were looking at it on the little map now, and now we're standing in front of it. And sure enough, It is absolutely a giant granite slab stood upright. Also, that little building that Grayson saw on the map is here. It's like a squat little ferrocrete bunker thing. Grayson goes inside and there's nothing in there but a table and a computer. That's a strange thing to be in a small ferrocrete building. Yeah. Coincidence? It does seem that Grayson's tinfoil hat here... So far is leaning towards the 
possibly correct. This is so Fallout. Do you ever play the Fallout games where there's like little computers everywhere and you need like a hacking skill to like use the terminals, but there's like little computers all over the map? <laughs> Absolutely. This would be one of those moments in a video game where you're like, oh yeah, this is where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. This is the big giant door to the boss room. Totally. Grayson does have a high hacking skill though. We've like seen him demonstrate it. We learned that in Decision yeah. at Thunder Rift. And yeah. by high hacking means he knows how to type help yeah yeah in a dos <laughs> he's like hold everybody stand back i know how to handle this and he turns it on it's like let's go into the file menu here grayson goes to turn it on but he's like wait first let's go check out the wall and we see that yes that giant slab is indeed held up on either side by these struts in the big brackets i really needed Grayson to like hands on hips look back at everyone and say look you guys were taking me for granted all along oh no (laughs) everybody looks back at him we sure did colonel the guy we've kept in charge through all your craziness Lori loves it yep so they're looking up at this thing they figure that yeah they could totally demo the retainers and the thing would probably fall down They get to placing charges when Grayson notices that there's totally these grooves cut into the rock face. They form a rectangle, and Grayson thinks, oh, this must be a door. It doesn't have hinges or anything. It's just these grooves. He can see it right in the middle, right? There's clearly, like, the indentation of some kind of door. And doesn't he say something? He starts talking about water erosion then, but he's like, it couldn't be water erosion here. Yeah, it's too artificial. It's like, these cracks are so deep, I can't even see the end of them. Yeah. That's when McCall calls Grayson and tells them he's got some sensor readings. Apparently, there is a large force approaching from the north. Grayson asks McCall if he's heard anything about the raid on the dropships, but unfortunately, not a word so far. So we got Merrick dropships nearby with dudes on the way. Grayson figures that by now, they must know exactly where they are. And what they're doing. Devilar begins to gather his explosives. This is where we get a scene of Duke Garth walking into Rachan's office. The Duke is in a great mood. He's smiling. He's feeling it. His guys, they're all ready to move out. We're all set up. Rachan turns his chair around and Garth <laughs> is shocked to see that he looks really mad at him. Rachan <laughs> looks so mad. He's like shocked. Rachan starts yelling at him for taking so long. He tells Garth that... They should have landed near Freeport, like he said. He tells him that they should have brought aerospace assets, like he said. He tells him (laughs) that they should have set out right away instead of bumbling about for half the day, like he said. He's like, dude, we've lost so much time. Rachan shows Garth the holographic map display he was looking at. He's found the Grey Death Legion on the sat map. And he's showing Garth, like, look, look at where they are. You see this? And Garth is like, huh? They're in, what what are they doing? (laughs) And Rachan points out, camping in that valley doesn't make much sense militarily. It's not like a very defensible position. There's only one reason Grayson would have taken all of his guys there. And that's where Rachan pounds the table and exclaims that Grayson must have found the Star League cache. They don't know how he did it. But once Rachan noticed that weird giant stone slab, he realized, oh, this must be the doorway into the depot. 
and he found it first, and now he's there. Garth asks Rachan if he thinks Grayson will use the Star League weapons against them, and Rachan smartly is like, no, probably not, but he will probably use it to bargain with us. Rachan figures that if they get in, it'll be very difficult to get them out, and at that point, they'll just have to outlast them. Which is a pretty good read, considering the fact that Grayson literally said, we'll at least have these as bargaining chips, worst case. Yeah, it is exactly what he said. And Rachan immediately says, like, we don't want him to bargain with us at all. What we do know is that they're going to be hungry. And everything there, not a good place to get food. So we have to outlast them. But I love his, like, internal read on it of, like, but if we outlast them, that gives Grayson more time with the stuff we want. And we want this guy to have nothing to do with it the whole time. Garth is just not getting it. He's just like, ah, it's not going to be no problem at all, Rachan. Everything's going He's in siege mode. Yeah. But that's because they're not communicating all the information here. And so obviously their plans are at odds because they're not working with the same game pieces. No. Rachan does tell Garth that he will absolutely not be commanding this mission. Garth is very (laughs) upset about it. He's like, what? I'm in charge here, but Rachan wants to give direct command to Langsdorf because Rachan thinks that Garth is an idiot, but he thinks Langsdorf <laughs> is really cool and smart. I like how Rachan kind of like holds up the two like examples of like, Garth, here's the missions you've led. They've been yeah. terrible. Every yeah. part of them. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Langsdorf has run one mission. Captured both the dropships of the Great Death Legion, (laughs) routed them, and put them in a terrible circumstance. So It would be very unbelievable for me for this, like, Comstar adept to not make this choice. It would have been very unbecoming of him. So I'm glad that this is what Keith decided to do with these characters. Yeah. But I also like how Rachan, this whole conversation that he's having with Garth, where he's just like, you're not doing it. He's like the coach telling one of the players on the team, like, you're not in the starting lineup, dude. Yeah. And he's the guy's like, but I'm your key player. I'm great. And he's like, you haven't done anything all season. (laughs) You've been a bench warmer. He's like stretching to try and like get the medals like from weighing him down. Start sweating. Yeah. He's like, oh, is the gravity on this planet real high too? (laughs) Rachan tries to persuade him by telling him something like, oh, think about it. It's kind of like a promotion. You'll be here with me overseeing everything. Not there where you'll have any control over the situation. But you know, (laughs) you get the best seat in the house. You can watch it from here. Best seat in the house. Yeah. Garth protests, but like, come on, we know he can't win this one. I'll be honest with you. If Comsar succeeds here, I think that that's like a 0% chance that Lord Garth walks away from here alive. No. Also, Rachan tells Garth that him and Langsdorf have already cooked up a plan. He's already been cut out of it. And the chapter ends with Rachan assuring Garth that he'll get over it when he sits on the throne of the Captain General, supreme ruler of House Merrick and the Free Worlds League. So we learn <laughs> that's quite a bargain. I just, I loved this whole little confrontation between Garth and Rachan. I just saw, like, Garth walk into the room. He struts in with his own version of the world's greatest boss mug. Rachan takes the yeah. time to, like, Bond villain, turn around in the chair, then yeah. reach across the desk and smack the mug out of his hand. <laughs> yeah. And Garth's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, excuse me. <laughs> Rachan having to, like, break it down. It really felt like a parent arguing with the five-year-old, like, that it's bedtime. And Garth's like, but look at all these examples that I have that don't show you 
how extremely tired I am. And Rachan's like, nope, sorry, bud. <laughs> Langsdorf's my best friend now. <laughs> Friendship in it with Lord Garth. <laughs> it was like a really terrible attempt at being diplomatic. And I love that through that whole interaction with Rachan trying to convince Garth that like, no, 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 no. Like, trust me, you're still number one in my book. You're still my big hero boy. But it's just right now we're going to do things different because I need you for more important stuff. And that like gets Garth to be like, hmm, okay, I guess I am a big important boy. Exactly. Garth is what we would call a useful idiot. Yeah. yeah. But Rachan's so bad at working with that at the same time. Like it didn't come off as like he really charmed this guy. It's and just no. like, oh, no, he fooled a pretty bad at everything guy. We're always making fun of the Lyrans for having social generals, but uh, yeah. <laughs> here we have an example of uh, an exception to the rule. Americ social general. How did this guy get? It's probably like this. A bunch of civil wars will do that to you sometimes. Yep. Yeah, you can tell Rachan's just been barely tolerating this guy like the whole time. Yeah. And here he's like, look, I don't actually just go away. We learned a big thing here. We learned that he was promised the... Merrick throne. Yeah, that's what he says. Yes. And a promise that Rachan was like a pinky promise. You can't go back on that, my guy. Yeah. It's the most solid I promise mean. I can give you. Yeah. The like audacity. No, don't get me wrong. Comstar is a very large organization, but the like, the likelihood of them going to that trouble for this guy seems very unlikely. It just kind of goes to show you how this man's greed outstretches his. And a long-term conceptual thought processes. Oh, yeah. Because, like, Rachan doesn't even sound like he's committed to that when he says it. He's just like, just think, one day. It's a piece of candy dangling in front of a child. It's it To me, it just came off as very funny. He specifically mentions what he'll do with his share of the weapons. That's what he says to Garth. He's like, think about what you'll do with all these weapons we're going to get when you're sitting on the throne of the Free Worlds League. There's so many weapons in there. That's what we're here for. The weapons. The weapons. <laughs> Garth's like, yeah, dude. Going to get all those weapons. With that, it'll be enough. That's all I need. That's the only thing <laughs> stopping me from being in control right now. Langsdorf has been given direct command. So this is Langsdorf's game now. Right. Things got more dangerous for Grayson here, right? A yeah. lot more dangerous. Yeah. Like in the backdrop of that funny scene, it's that drop of like, oh, Langsdorf is going to be in charge of this. And everything yeah. we know about Langsdorf is he is a man who does his job and he does his job well. Absolutely. If Garth He's was good. in charge, you'd be like, oh, Grayson's got it in the back. But yeah. Langsdorf, you're like, well, we've lost once. This was a great way for Keith to pull the rug out last second and give us a little bit more tension to the scene. Yeah. As well as set the stage for the inevitable battle. Yes. This is his most competent opponent yet. You know, on Verthandi, they got so many lucky breaks because Nagumo was so incompetent. Yeah, the stops are all pulled out here. Keith has gone to great lengths to show that Langsdorf is at least as competent as Grayson. Sometimes maybe even more competent than our boy. I do love this, though, because you get the feeling that the board is set, right? The yes. pieces are in place, and the game is about to begin. Condition sets. And we'll find out how the first move plays out in the next chapter. Chapter 26. We open on 
the river valley. The Legion has set up a little camp here. Grayson just got off the phone with Colonel Addison, who is the commander of House Recall's dropship fleet. Because remember, he's got some ships coming in. He tells Grayson that they should be entering the atmosphere above the mountains by late afternoon tomorrow. And Grayson asks Addison if he had any contact with Duke Recall. But Addison tells him that he has not. He hasn't talked to him. Grayson is worried because he should have received word about the success or failure of the mission to retake the dropships. And he is also concerned about the large force of mechs that McCall told him about. They'll probably be here by nightfall, so the clock is ticking, and they got to get inside this thing. And this is something that, as we have talked about many times with Grayson setting up these big plans, that he starts feeling like something's amiss. He gets that first red flag in the plan of, well, Duke Recall's not responding anymore. We made that big deal together that is supposed to turn the tables in our favor, and all the mission planning is based with Duke Recall. Yeah. And so far, the only confirmation that he's gotten is that those dropships are going to come down later than expected, and no word on Duke Recall's forces joining in for the raid on the dropships that we spoke about with Delaney. So... That is that first point in this, and it's not going to be the last one that we talk about in this episode, that he starts to get that feeling again of like, hmm, something doesn't sit right with me here. Yeah, no no word from the dropships. It's weird. We should have heard something by now. And I like how Keith has taken that same scenario that we've seen in all three books now, but each time he kind of moves more and more of the pieces out of Grayson's hands to be able to react with it. So it's a very similar setup that we've seen before, but it keeps in mind Grayson's growth all the way through it. So it doesn't make him take a step back like we were in Helmtown with Allard King talking to guards. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's right to be suspicious here. Absolutely. It is reasonable that something came up. He can't choose to not do anything even with that first red flag. Absolutely. He's like... We have to keep doing what we have to, and we can't rely on him showing up or not. We just have to plan accordingly. Big boy pants Grayson again. Absolutely. Grayson is watching the techs plant the charges, and he realizes that even if they manage to get inside, the Merrick forces could just camp outside the entrance, effectively trapping them inside. Grayson's thinking about that door. He's like, there must be some kind of way to open it. Some kind of open sesame. He says that. (laughs) He's like, I need some kind of open sesame. Then it hits him. He must be hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Grab a Snickers. (laughs) Check your skimmer's glove compartment. There might be something to eat in there. (laughs) Yeah. Grayson realizes that the engineers would have needed a convenient way of opening the door, as well as keeping the secret safe. They would have needed the key to be passed down for generations. At least he thinks all this. This is, he's like, yes, they must have had a key and a way to pass it down. I'm like, well, not necessarily, but I mean, maybe. <laughs> Grace, Grayson remembers <laughs> that memory chip, the one that was given to him in the ceremony. 
with the old map. The one with on the it. map. Yeah, yeah, the one with the map. He runs back to the hovercraft and grabs it. And he runs back to that little bunker. We get the scene. He runs in there to the little room with the computer in it. And he sticks the memory card into the little SD slot on the side. <laughs> and then we get this whole section just about computer programs. The author <laughs> writes, he like describes computer programs for a moment. And then I, I remembered, oh, yeah, this was a... Uh, this was like it's late because 80s, we're pre-plugins, so, yeah, right. We're pre-like putting something in and then not having to access it, yeah, right. You know, we're pre-GUI. Yeah, he does. He, he like he gives you a little primer on computer programs. I was like, oh, yep. okay, this is good information. <laughs> and he's like, there's code, and it's sometimes yeah. it's behind <laughs> yeah. the programs. Yeah, yeah. It was a little '90s movie like Hacker Man yeah. moment yeah. for me, where he was just like. It's a program that yeah. runs in the background, so it could be on any computer, Yeah, but it's only going to work on a specific computer, and it just felt like a little back hack the but, IP you know, for In this day and age, it is easy to take these things for granted. Oh, absolutely. Just going to let him get away with it? <laughs> I don't want him to go off on some Independence Day reference or anything at this point. <laughs> so, you know... He didn't mention the gooey in the first Jurassic Park movie. So we so oh, no. that's that's oh, growth. The Unix system. Yeah. <laughs> the Unix system, dude. That's not what Unix looks like, by the way. No. Anyway, I do love this little bit of tech history. We get our little like 80s retrofuturism. And then I assume we get the like the video game screen shake. Yeah. You do. You've opened like the door, and so now they need a like a cue to let you know that totally a, a door is opening somewhere else. They, they add, mm -hmm. that's absolutely what happens because <laughs> he sticks the little card in, and he's just he's just staring at the computer for a moment. The screen just stays blank. He's like, "Huh? What's wrong with this thing?" He's like hitting it on the side, and then <laughs> someone starts yelling for him, like, "Hey!" And uh, yes, you absolutely get the screen shake, like the. <laughs> and Grayson and Lori, they run back out and they look around and the ground is totally rumbling, right? You can see the little rocks vibrating off the edge of the like rocks and stuff. And that rectangular cutout Grayson noticed earlier is sliding back into the recess. And once it separates from the rest of the cliff, it slides the side out of the way and the doorway stood open this is awesome that little Voila. memory card he had was the key to open the door how crazy is that <laughs> he had it the whole time really not that crazy i think his logic was pretty sound the whole way through yeah i thought this was awesome an amazingly competent <laughs> plan that did not involve tackling anybody Yep. <laughs> Maybe too competent for not having to tackle somebody for Grayson. But I, I did feel when I read this, like, this is very close to being a little too convenient. Yeah. But it I is something. Fine. Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> it's one of those things that you're like, we got to get him inside. Yes. We did have the it set up. Go on. Exactly. So even though it walks that very fine line of awfully convenient it works he he spends enough time talking about computer code to to sell it yeah. and to say like oh he put in the card it's working 
we're in. And that's where we want to be. We want those doors open. We want to get inside. Look, I don't think we needed it's the speak friend and enter. Yeah. (laughs) You notice William H. Keith Jr. When he's about to do something like this, always (laughs) like over explains. He He has this tendency to like, he He knows what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, he's like, hold on now. (laughs) If I don't say all of this right here, people aren't going to believe it. And he's right. Most of the time, Literally, it is through there, and it's like, the, oh, I'm going to get it all in there so people yeah. can't say, I just made if, it work. If you remember, we said this in the first episode when we're talking yeah. about <laughs> the prologue of Decision at Thunder Rift, where he gives the whole explanation about the name Deeth and Death, and we're like, <laughs> he, like it feels a little... <laughs> <it's> like, <laughs> just name him Death, dude. It's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got the door open, Keith. It's all right. It's great. I I appreciate it. He feels the need to earn it. I do, too. Mm -hmm. I do think I I would feel it didn't work as strongly if he didn't, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I felt like he also kind of understood what he was building for his readers, that the most important thing we want to see is what is inside of here. Yeah. So he kind of just trims some of the fat. Off of what could have been a much longer process. It could have been him sitting out there for a whole day trying to figure out how to open this door and having the engineers look at it. We could have gotten a very long scene to get through this. But at the end of the day, you just want to be in this. Yeah, the tension's been built up enough. Yeah, We earned it with the map, right? I think the map scenes earned this being kind of a hand wave. If there yeah. hadn't been an, as many of these map scenes in Greece and kind of figuring all this stuff out, I would be much more yeah. inclined to say like, ah, uh, this kind of feels bad. And to build a link between the verbiage he's using is that the map was the key to finding the cache. Right. So the map is the key to the cache. And I think it's it works funny. in that regard. Yeah. Good point. We jump over to Langsdorf in the cockpit of his Warhammer, him and his guys are racing across the landscape, right? They're in full tilt. He's thinking about how Grayson had slipped away in the night and taken all of his forces somewhere in the mountains. They didn't notice right away. They had eyes on him, but then all of a sudden they're gone. They're like, where'd they go? And now they get word. He's thinking about how Rachan had told him that Grayson was seeking the lost Star League cash and had immediately put him in direct command. So he's with all of his guys. They're moving as quick as they can. We learn he has about 27 mechs. That's 2.25 companies. Yeah. He's got a decent bit of weight here. (laughs) He also has a collection of hovercrafts and mechanized infantry. That's a bit of an army. Yeah. This is a sizable force in contrast to what Grayson has to work with. Yeah, this is terrifying. Is this also the biggest force that we've had go up against the GDL in book yet? I think concentrated, yes. If oh, we yeah. recall correctly, there was more than a reinforced regiment on Verdandi. But this is, I think, the most of it all in one place, which is. Yes, I guess, uh, yeah, case, I guess that's how I'm saying it is for a battle. Yeah. Right. For a battle, yes. Hammerstroy. <laughs> Rachan had reminded Langsdorf that even if Grayson could get inside, he won't have time to use the equipment he would find in there. Langsdorf is confident that he'll be able to trap Grayson, 
if only because his force severely outnumbers the Legion forces. He also thinks this. He's like, I got a lot of guys, and he doesn't have that many, so I think we'll be all right. But Langsdorf is no moron. He is not Lord Garth, and he knows not to underestimate his enemy, even considering the numerical value in which he outnumbers them. This is where we cut back to Grayson standing inside the Star League facility, looking disappointed, because we see he's standing in this vast, tall chamber, but there's nothing here. It's empty. No mechs, no weapons. There is a little house. There's like another little bunker, just like the one outside in here. I imagine a big underground airplane hangar looking space, huge thing, but there's just this little hut in there. And he's standing there looking around like, huh? He's thinking about maybe they just ran out of time. Maybe they built the thing, but they weren't able to get the stuff here. That's possible. Maybe everything did get vaporized after all. Totally. And the chapter ends with Grayson walking into the little building, just like opening the door. I loved this moment for Grayson in the book. <laughs> I love how Keith pulled this off. Yeah. Because Keith knew this was the biggest moment in the book that he has built up from the yeah. very beginning. Yeah. This was the piece every part of the plot has been built up to. Yeah. And having Grayson walk in to just this big empty room to me as i read it i go oh Uh-oh. what's going on from this point because you felt like if he walked in and there were all the mechs and everything was sitting right there it would at be that cheap. moment yeah it, you would feel like of course it is yeah you're like oh look there's the exact number of mechs he needs to, to fight off langsdorf given terrain advantage and grayson's hotshot guerrilla tactics as you said that would set up all this tension that had been building up to dissipate almost immediately. Like, okay, we know the force that they have, but if we had walked into this room and we had just heard, you know, Langsdorf has 27 mechs and Grayson comes in here, he's like, I count 28 mechs in here. Exactly. It just, it wouldn't have the punch. So walking into this big empty room puts us where we love Grayson. Once again. Empty. With his hands on his hip going, shit. (laughs) And, I, I feel like that's the moments I know I look forward to in these books is yeah. Grayson having to reevaluate everything he's got in his mind on the fly and try to pull off a win. I do love the sequence of events where it's like the huge moment. He's like, I got the chip and he puts it in the grounds rumbling. You hear the music swelling, the doors open, dun, 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 and then it cuts to Langsdorf and you see this huge force marching in, like racing across the plains. And then you cut to Grayson just, like, standing there. You just hear, like, sneaker squeaks and, like, coughs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they're just, like, looking around. like, And they're like, oh. I totally picture this as, like, that Christopher Nolan Batcave to yeah. only, like, much bigger. So it's yeah, just, yeah. like, all of these big fluorescent lights just, like, come on. And there's, yeah. like, this hum that just kind of fills the room as all these old <laughs> lights, like, come on. And it's just, like you said... It's empty. Empty. Grayson standing alone in this monumental sized <laughs> yeah, room. Yeah. Just hands on his hip, shaking his head. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> moment to see and envision. And like I said, it left me more excited about the chapters to come just on a single paragraph. Keith has 
he's just pulling out every rug he can now. It's great. Mm -hmm. It's what you love to see an author doing. So we've got a short-term problem and a long-term problem for Grayson. Let's see what he figures out. There is a little building here. It ends with him just walking into it. It does say, I did want to point out, that the chapter ends with Grayson thinking, this building had nothing whatsoever to do with a league military storehouse. So we are alerted that there's something strange about it. Yeah. And we'll have to find out what the Great Death Legion can do from here in the next chapter. Chapter 27. We open on Rachan hanging out in the basement of the Helmdown Comstar facility. He's down here with six Comstar adepts from the local HPG. We learn immediately, however, that Rachan plans for these men to meet with unfortunate incidents. Since Comstar rotates their adepts out on a regular schedule, he cannot let them leave with the knowledge of what happened here. That's what it says. Right there, in plain English. Yeah, the chapter opens with Rachan's hanging out with these dudes, but he's going to kill them soon. Don't worry. <laughs> I do love this part. Well, not, yeah. not that he's going to kill these guys, but I like that this is all preparatory towards these little scenes with these Comstar adepts. We're going to like get names and stuff about them. I like this part. Yeah, we got some adepts. It is cool. He's telling them Rachan is telling these guys that they're here because he can trust them with a secret that holds the future of Comstar itself. This is when senior adept Larrabee asks Rachan if he's talking about that weapons cache everybody's talking about. He's like, oh yeah, you're talking about that weapons cache? Everyone knows about that. And Rachan tells him that the weapons are just a pretext to win Garth's obedience but that the true treasure is beyond priceless, and he will need their help to get it. I also like, we're getting another Keith-style thing, where he takes another set of characters to explain what's going on with his primary characters. Yeah, exactly. And I really enjoyed that follow-up to it, as we immediately ended with Grayson's disappointment, and we cut back to Rachan saying, like, you don't understand what's inside of their is critical. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, well, but it's empty. So what What could he be talking about? Yeah, he was just telling Garth about how, oh, we're going to get in there. We're going to get those weapons. It's, it's all about those weapons. And then we immediately see him talking to these guys, the Comstar guys. And he's like, it's not about the weapons. It's about something else. Trust me. And I think that was very well placed here because Otherwise, it would feel like, oh, did he just take a cheap rug pull moment to say like, oh, the cash isn't important, but it's like a reassuring moment to the readers that no, 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 there's still a lot going on with that, but we still got more book to go through. So keep buckled in for us. There's something else here that's important, I think, before we move on to dissect, which is Comstar apparently is this like cellular organization where you have these adepts that are here. Yeah. You have this like lower caste that aren't in on all the secrets. And so they're more disposable. And, and it makes you wonder like how big is this structure and all of this, what's going on? Brent, 
do they have a Comstar source book out at this time? Wasn't that was that part of the original collection of the source books? Uh, so no, the Comstar source book I think came out in like the uh, the the early nineties. So with this oh, book being written in eighty seven, I don't think he would have had access to that. Of course, there were from all the interviews and stuff I've listened to, Fossa had all kinds of internal documents and stuff that they were probably working with. But no, the Comstar sourcebook as we know it today did not have access to. Interesting. And I like what Keith has done setting up Comstar with this paragraph alone. As you were saying, it has this cellular nature to it. So it puts in the idea of maybe Rachan isn't acting on higher orders. Maybe he is a little cowboy or in this. Or maybe he is. Maybe he is. We don't know quite yet. Either one's interesting, really. Exactly. And it goes to strengthen the premise he talked about when he first discussed Comstar's organization as a whole with Grayson saying, I've got this vision of Comstar being this unseen sixth house yeah. of the inner sphere yeah. by showing it also has some of the same faults that the houses are suffering from that he's talking about some of these people acting and having their own agendas and, but keeping it murky enough that we don't get our finger directly on the pulse of what's going on with Comstar yet. So he's built up this mysterious organization and kept it that way without feeling the need to lay it all out on the page for you. Indubitably. <laughs> this is where we jump over to Tracy Maxwell Kent lying on her stomach, waiting in ambush. She's here with the others. Oh, here we go. They're in the valley where the Demos and Phobos still sit where we last saw them. They didn't move them. And we also learn that Duke Recall's forces, who they were supposed to have hooked up with, never showed up. They're not here. It's just never the... Shown. Yeah, it's just Legion personnel. They were hoping that after hearing that the Legion had relocated, the forces occupying the dropships would relax their discipline and open the bay doors, that at some point they wouldn't be on high alert because they would get word that the Legion had moved far away, they're no longer nearby. But unfortunately, that had yet to happen. So they're all just laying here, waiting. And Tracy takes a moment to think, we've only got 50 troops and we got to take two dropships. Yeah. It's keeping up with that. Things aren't looking good for the Grey Death Legion right now, Tone. No. So they're all sitting here, lying in wait, and they hear someone come thrashing through the brush, approaching the dropships. Someone comes running up, and they're like, wait, who's this? They get a look at him. It's Graf. It's Graf, it's dude. Graf. Yes. He went back to the dropships. Graf has called yes. ass. Yeah. So Graf runs up and he's all like, hey, don't shoot me. It's me. It's Graf. He looks terrible. Like, <laughs> Which he looks is like not a, a great way to not yeah. get people to shoot you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does say he looks awful. He looks like he was just a prisoner of war that stole a hovercraft, drove it across the desert, and then like <laughs> stumbled his way into a valley. <laughs> but the sentries come over and they talk to him. And it's here. That the Merrick forces realize that the Legion isn't nearby anymore. Graf must have told them that the Legion packed up and shipped out because the dropships opened their bay doors. 
So it is Graf who tells them that the Legion is no longer here. It's Graf that causes them to relax their like higher alert status, right? The caution level goes down. Isn't that so funny? Makes me think of a uh, Gandalf quote. A wizard rise precisely what he means to. <laughs> no, no, actually, in regards to Gollum, it just goes to show that like this guy could have died and this opportunity wouldn't have arised. Yeah. And he still had a part to play. Which Isn't is... this so funny? I love this. I also love yes. this. I also like to think that they've been sitting in this bush and we haven't gotten the movie moment of them going, we just need a diversion for this plan to work. Yeah. Yep. But I like how we didn't get that moment because Keith rode this idea of like things, as I just said, things are looking bad for the Great Death Legion. Yeah. And the next thing that happens is Graf burst onto the scene and every time Graf has showed up, something devastating has happened to the gray death legion <laughs> yeah. so in my mind as i was reading it i was like oh no like graf had this plan something terrible's about to happen and then he follows through with it and it's the drop ships open their doors and you're like oh this is the second time graf has made these doors to these drop ships open and it's been That's bad right. for the drop ships Tracy looks over at Delaney and he gives her the thumbs up. This is the opportunity they've been waiting for. All units, go, go, go. And the Legion forces, they all stand up and immediately begin firing on the guards and rushing the dropships. Everyone just stands up and starts running and shooting. And it's awesome. The laser turrets, of course, start lighting them up, right? They start losing some guys, but they don't stop for anything. They're approaching the open ramp, and they got to get inside, or those turrets will slaughter them. There's a bunch of guys at the top of the ramp. You know, there's a bunch of guys up there with guns. Tracy starts running up, just firing into the Merrick guard. She's just hosing them down. And that's when Delaney is like, step aside. And he goes running past her. He's just like, I got this. And the ramp starts closing up. They're like, hey, and they start... And the ramp's closing and the door at the top is starting to close down as well. And Tracy slips. She almost falls off. She's like holding on to the grating as the ramp is like lifting itself up. And you see Janice Taylor is down on the ground looking up at her like, Tracy, let go, let go. <laughs> and dude, Delaney don't care though, right? Dude <laughs> just keeps trudging up the ramp, firing his... SMG into the hatch. Tracy's watching him like, how? How can he possibly stay on his feet? This is insane. She sees Delaney. He slips into the closing hatch and it's just followed. She just hears a cacophony of gunfire from the inside. Fucking Delaney, man. Yeah. What a hero. Tracy jumps up and follows him in. She notices that the hatch door has stopped closing. It stops. So she's able to slip in as well. And when she gets in there, Unfortunately, she sees that Delaney has been killed. What a hero, though. Not only that, he's holding the door controls. It was Delaney who stopped the door from closing. Like, what a Chad. It was a huge hero moment. Big yeah. set up the scene. And it was a cool scene to envision. Yeah, it, dude. It would be one of the coolest moments in the show of watching Delaney like surf the ramp as it's 
being lifted as Tracy's just like barely yes. hanging on yes. as he's just mowing down the guards yes. inside the ship one after another till she eventually loses sight of him. She's yeah. like, okay, I've regained my balance. The door stopped. Delaney's done it. Dude, pour one the fuck out. What a chat. <laughs> Lieutenant a Delaney. Moment. I love it. His name was Delaney. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a moment here to say, even though it doesn't meet some of our criteria, this was the moment that earned me the Delaney D-Lister nomination. Oh, a non-mech warrior. A non-mech warrior. You gotta honor So is it. he, he going to count as infantry then? Oh, that's cool. It's just one guy. It's just one dude. It's Unfortunately, one he died. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have a great chance in the tournament we're setting up. Kanan, are we good with this? Can he do this? <laughs> I it's sure. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, a lone infantry Delaney <laughs> has been added to the roster for potential D-lister. D-lister. I mean, this is just he just dropped the card in the suggestion box, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is We'll hash this out in the remembrance. I just yeah. tore off a piece of paper and wrote Delaney the Chad and dropped it right in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Tracy gets in and she realizes that there's a gunfight going on inside the dropship, though. She hears gunfire internally and she's like, what? But I thought that me and Delaney were the first in. And then she's like, oh, the prisoners, they must have attacked from the inside when they realized what was going on. Everyone was just looking for an opportunity. Yeah. It turns out there had only been 20 Merrick troopers on the ship in total. No wonder they looked nervous. Well, if you remember, they were getting shot down as they were running up that ramp uh, all the way. Yeah. Yeah. And they had the dropships. It makes sense why there's not that many people inside of them. What are you going to do with them? Yeah. It's wasted units. As long as they keep the doors closed on the dropship. There's nothing to worry about. Just like, oh, dude, we get word that the attack on the Phobos was also successful. Even more successful, actually. They didn't even have time to use the turrets on them or anything. Because it turns out that Ilsa Martinez gutted the guard with a combat knife and led the crew to the bridge where they killed everyone before the Legion Raiders could even get inside. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I love this. When Martinez heard that the dropships were being attacked, she literally pulled out a knife that she'd been hiding the whole time and just started stabbing dudes. And she was like, all right, we got this. By the time the Raiders get inside, like Martinez is already on the bridge. Like, now we took care of it. It's it's I love peak it. Gray Death Legion. Yes. Yeah. It is my favorite thing. It's the thing I've come to love so much with, with this whole group, is that no one in the Gray Death Legion ever gives up. Yeah. You, like, as soon as you read it, you were like, Ilsa Martinez had planned this from the very second they lost the Everyone dropship. Everyone was just waiting for their moment. Everybody yeah. believes in each other so much that they're like, it's only a matter of time. All we have to do is keep our composure. And when the moment's here, when the rest of our crew shows up, we're going to be ready for them. And sure enough, it happens here. Everybody played their part. They defied the odds again. The guard was like in danger the whole time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's some real like, I'm not locked in here with you. Like energy <laughs> going on. She pulls a knife out. Yeah. 
But I love the setup behind that, that like Ilsa Martinez had that plan, but it's like we can't take back our dropship until we know yeah. the other one's going to get taken. Yeah. Because if we take this one, we're going to lose both dropships in a fight. Yeah. So all we have to do is just wait. It's great. I love it. Oh, yeah. It's literally a prisoner's dilemma. That's funny. We learn they did take some losses. We lost seven of the attacking troops and six of the prisoners. And of course, Lieutenant Delaney. Oh, this is great. It says that they found Graf's body or what was left of it because a slicing laser shot from the Deimos had exploded most of his body from the waist down. Eat it, loser. <laughs> this rules. He got exploded. Keith has so much payoff in this scene. Yeah, it's true. Not only do you go like, I love the Grey Death Legion, but Graf got everything he deserved and more. He got shot down by his own guys. Yes. Dude, not only that, but you get the shot of Tracy standing in front of the, her phoenix hawk, the dutiful daughter, and it's intact. It's hung safely on its storage rack. Finally, you see her like looking up at it like, yes. She's earned that moment throughout yes. this whole story. You just know she's going to do something probably stupid and dangerous with it any second now. <laughs> Very excited. <laughs> yes, me too. She's got some feelings to work out. Exactly. Dude, this is like one of my favorite scenes in the book. Them taking the dropships back. This is so sick. I love this. Like, I like, I like never forgot this scene. This one is like, this, this always stuck out to me. I think this is so cool. It's very cinematic, but it's just another check for like, it's like, oh, look, another cinematic scene to put on top of the other cinematic yeah. scenes that Keith oh, laid yeah. out here. The whole way through, this is the most movie of his books. What a payoff. We got them back, dude. Absolutely. We got the dropships. We got them. They did it. They needed this. We needed the dub. A hundred percent. Graf got some karma. Yeah, yeah. Martinez got some spotlight time. Yeah. And so did Tracy. Dude, Janice Taylor is here. Tracy is my favorite startup. Yeah. I'm like, I can't wait to see what happens with Tracy. Yeah, Tracy is cool. The dutiful daughter. Let's go. This is where we cut back to Grayson inside that underground chamber. He is looking at some lettering engraved onto the side of that little building. It says, Star League Field Library Facility, Helm, DE 890-2699. And you're like, oh, Star League Field Library Facility. Interesting. Lori asks him what it means, and Grayson tells her that it means that they might have some trouble explaining this to Duke Recall. They go inside, and of course... There's a little desk and a computer, just like the other one. Again, you go up and you put your cursor over it and it's like hacking level 70 <laughs> or whatever. Grayson, though, he plugs the little memory card in it and, oh, this is cool. The entire wall lights up. Yes, he plugs the thing in and it's like a projector and the whole side of the wall lights up and it turns out the whole wall in here is like a big monitor. And... A quote appears, all right? It says, The advancement and diffusion of knowledge is the only true guardian of liberty. James Madison. I was like, oh, interesting. And Grayson presses the inner key, 
and the display shows it's just like a big list of subjects and categories, like a library. Grayson spends the next couple of hours in here. It says that Grayson just like goes goblin mode and spends a couple of hours just like reading stuff. Oh, we learned that these libraries used to be much more common. It says that they used to be located on every world. He learns that the Star League used the memory core system to update and spread information across the libraries, whereas the memory cores traveled around. It was like a decentralized, they would all update. They would like keep them all updated. And we just have this montage of Grayson just in there, just reading and scrolling and typing. He finds all these chemical formulas and genetic manipulation techniques. It's just, it's like all this knowledge that's been lost at time, right? One of those was foreshadowing, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Exactly. If you know, you know. Oh, yeah, that's funny. He does a little, uh, you know, searching in the database there, and he does manage to find what he's looking for, a map of the Star League. Nagayan Mountain Facility. So the chapter ends with Grayson getting a map to this facility that he's in, right? It's just, he's like, doop, and you see the map come up, and he's like, yes. I like to think that it's in full 3D wireframe projection. Totally. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Good point. Absolutely. I like the idea of Grayson's been punching in all this, looking at all the information, and he turns back to Lori, and he's like, it's like a map of information. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's just thrilled. And Lori's like, oh, no, here we go again. Yeah. She's like falling asleep (laughs) on a chair in the corner. Yeah. But yeah, the dropship battle chapter ends with Grayson like hitting enter in the wireframe, like map appearing. And he's just like nodding along, sicko mode. Let's go. It does make me wonder what literally everyone else in the Great Death Legion is doing at this point. Just watching Grayson. I assume like everybody's kind of like moved in this facility. Grayson's like pointing stuff out. He's like, look at this stuff and this stuff. But I could imagine that it would be another really cool scene to see is like everybody was down and their hopes all hinged on this. And it's now they have found something. And Keith takes that moment through this chapter. He set up the last chapter to be disastrous for the Great Death Legion. And this next chapter turns everything around for them. At least... In yeah. terms Everything's of... Everything's a little strong, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel like there's a chance now. We yes. went from like, oh... Having every- nothing. Nothing to a glimmer of hope. And I believe there was a cartoon I once saw that mentioned something about information being ammunition. Oh, that's true. It's true. This is a great chapter. We get Rachan with the adepts into the dropship battle, into the Grayson accessing the library and getting the map. It's like things are really starting to heat up, right? You feel like, oh, we're like really getting into it. Like something's about to happen. And he's found all this stuff. We don't know what it is yet. Like we don't know what he's actually going to use it for, but... We're back at the setup, right? There's some pieces moving around again. Yeah. We have some cool stuff now. So yeah, this and this is where Grayson learns, oh, this thing is a library. So the chapter starts with Brachan telling the adepts that what is in there is more precious than weapons. And the chapter it's information. ends. Yeah, exactly. The writer informs you it's this library. And you're like, oh, interesting. It's a library. Yeah. And in one chapter, as you were just saying, so much occurs. Keith 
keeps things moving so much that you're getting all of these very cool scenes back to back to back. I will say, I think feel like there's a little uphill struggle for Grayson here. Not that the Grey Death Legion needs a reason to defend their own, but I do feel like it's going to be hard to get morale up for Grayson. The weapons would have been like, yeah, we've got something to fight with here. The information as, you know, despite its importance, it's not exactly the morale booster that they needed. Exactly. However, even though they didn't find something to fight with, they did find something to fight for. Well, we'll have to see if Grayson can pull that part off. That's kind of what I'm getting at, is can Grayson sell it to his guys? Exactly. And we'll have to find out if he pulls that off in the next chapter. Chapter 28 This chapter opens with a summary about what Grayson learned while studying the library files. Turns out, this whole facility is much larger than any of them realized. This main cavern is just a small part of a honeycomb of tunnels and passageways carving all through the mountain in the surrounding area. We even get a little more history, a little backstory. We learn about, remember Major Keeler? That was the guy in charge of the engineering battalion that supposedly built all this. We learn that Major Keeler, he wasn't even the first guy to work on the project, just the last. It was originally supposed to be a laboratory, then a fortress. It was Keeler and the boys who decided to use it to stash all the stuff in. We learn a little bit more about Major Keeler himself here. Major Keeler really believed in the idea of a Star League, and... After General Kerensky left with the majority of the SLDF, Keeler realized the same thing Kerensky realized, that the inner sphere was about to devolve into a free-for-all. I don't think that's a name that's going to come up again, do you guys? Another guy that sounds like he might have a Sarna article about him. I wonder, this is one of the, this might be the most detailed mention of Kerensky leaving with the SLDF in these books so far. Yes. Mm -hmm. We learned that Major Keeler was also working really hard, like bureaucratically, to keep prying hands away from the loot so he could finish moving all the stuff and sealing it up. They were actively moving the stuff when he learned that Karita was on their way, House Karita, which ended up bombing the planet irradiating everything for hundreds of years or what have you. So quite a bit of backstory for this place. Yeah. General Kerensky, we were joking, but that's a huge name. Just in case you've been living under a rock, Alexander Kerensky is the general of the Star League Defense Force, the like military branch of the unified government of the Inner Sphere. It's a hard name to miss. It is one of those names that I know about. In all of this, just being in Battletech, Kerensky is a name that you cannot avoid. What's more important than even General Kerensky and what he was in charge of and the events that transpired in the Amaris Civil War yeah. is the fact that the Kerensky took those who would follow him, 
the remnants of the Star League Defense Force as the Star League was collapsing. Yeah. They gathered up a lot of the Star League's weapons as to not allow them to fall into the hands of the successor states to cause more trouble and turmoil, and Kerensky left. An option that he believed was the only way that he could actually help instead of hurt the citizens of the Inner Sphere. Um, Yes, this story is very infamous to the citizens of the Inner Sphere. A lot of people know about this, about General Kerensky taking the army and like leaving the Inner Sphere, because that was the 2780s, I think, and... This book takes place in 3028, so it's been hundreds of years. So it's become like folklore by this point, right? Like many generations. And another bit of folklore connected to that is that everyone swears that General Kerensky is going to come back. Yeah, and remember that also this all ties together because Kerensky left with most of the military and... What was left of the Star League that got left behind became Comstar, right? Kind of. You're not wrong. It's a little more complicated than that. Some of them left and formed the Northwind Highlanders. Some of them became the Eridani Light Horse. There's a lot to unpack there, but TLDR, a good chunk of them did become Comstar. Jerome Blake, dude. Like all things at Battletech, there's a whole lot more to it. I'm down with Blake. (laughs) Back to the present, we see Grayson is showing Lori all the cool stuff he learned. He's like, Grayson's like, hey, check this out. And he's like pulling up files and stuff. He shows her though, he has a file, Main Depot stores. He shows Lori that there is in fact a manifest indicating that there is a load of mechs down there. Over on the west side of the facility, There's he's like, yeah, look, I, I, I have like a manifest. It says that there's a bunch of battle mechs and ammunition and stuff and whatnot, but it's not here. It's not in this area, but there's even a functioning transport system. There's even multiple hidden exits up to the surface that no one knows about. It's, he's like, dude, look at this. This is insane. There actually is a bunch of stuff down here. And there's like a whole like subway system or whatever. It's like it's sick freight elevators. How cool is this? <laughs> it makes a lot of sense when you consider this was originally supposed to be a laboratory, a fortress, and inevitably a cachet. Yeah. Grayson, he's freaking out. He tells her, though, he's like, honestly, Lori, I'm convinced that the greatest treasure of all is actually this Star League library. And the friends we make along the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's right. That's uh, him and Rachan are in agreement. This is the yes. real treasure all this information. Then we cut to a shot of a hovercraft racing across the plains south of Helmdown. And it's Rachan and those six Comstar guys. They're all in a car together. And they're like, woo, they're like driving real fast. They're trailing Langsdorf's forces. They can see them. There's like dust billowing in the distance. They're like, that's Langsdorf's. I like to think that they're all like holding their robes because they're just flapping like crazy because they're in this like open top hovercraft. Yeah, this is what I mean. Brent brings up a good point here because I actually wondered, do you think it's open air or do you think it's closed? It could be either way. I was trying to picture it in my mind. What what hovercraft did it say they were on? I don't know if it says. 
But it's funny that you bring that up because I the th- same thing occurred to me. It, I actually I, I had the image of them all like holding on and like the, the yeah. wind is whipping there. But he's like talking to him. I like to imagine that he's like yelling though. I love it yes. in movies when people are in vehicles that requires them to yell <laughs> to each other like the robes blowing in the wind. Exactly. They're like riding along and, and he's he's talking to him like, no, my son, the library. It's very valuable, my son. I do like that. Rachan realizes that after hanging out with all of his comboys for a while, he started talking like he did back in the old days. Like he keeps using the term my son when addressing them. He misses it. He's like, good to be back. I'm feeling good. Yeah. He's like using the lingo and stuff. The guys are asking him why they got to destroy the memory core, right? Isn't this priceless information? Exactly. Isn't this like what Comstar is like always after? Rachan at this point has told them that of his intentions to destroy the memory core or to keep it for himself, to deny the Grey Death Legion or even House Merrick access to the memory core. And that's his whole secret mission. And that's the priority. Yeah. They're very concerned. These adepts, they're asking him, why we got to destroy the memory core? It's like Star League stuff. That's our whole thing. And Rachan, he gives him this whole speech about how it's Comstar's duty to protect the old knowledge and especially to keep it from falling into unsanctified hands, right? He tells him that what we're going to do is we're going to make a copy of the data for ourselves and then we're going to destroy the library, all right? We're going to just get rid of it. And I like one of the adepts, he asked Rachan, are we even worthy of such trust? My lord, this seems like kind of a big deal. And we're just like a couple of lowly adepts. And Rachan, we get the bit. He just thinks to himself, actually, no, you're not. And that's why <laughs> I'm going to ice all of you once the whole gig is up. You know what I mean? Yeah, he specifically says in that statement, he's like, it'll be a secret that all of you will take to your graves. Yeah. <laughs> and he does it. He does that like turn away from them, <laughs> looks into the camera. Totally. It'll be much sooner than you think. I like to think that Percenter's the kind of guy that would be like, I'm going to need you to dig six holes right here. There are <laughs> <Yeah>. some priceless <laughs> information totally. valuable to Comstar. And they're like, uh, okay, about how deep? It's like about six feet. Yeah. <laughs> They'll need to be about as tall as each one of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. So we cut back to the Legion. We see the sun is setting behind the horizon. The Grey Death is emerging from a hidden passage onto the plains above the sea. And we learn that they had indeed found mechs in storage. They found mechs, ammos, guns, electronics, a lot of gantries. A lot of gantries <laughs> down there. Those and Star League era gantries. Yeah. They even found some cool vehicles, vedettes. And demolishers. Demolishers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Demolisher Heavy Tank. The Demolisher is a defensive Titan with two tandem 185 Chemjet Class 20 autocannons. Well, there isn't much else to know. It has two 185mm guns that fire in four-round bursts. If you are in range you're likely either already or about to knock on heaven's door. If you are not, 
hopefully you have the good sense to get out of range and out of the way. Which should be easy as the Demolisher has a GM240 super load ice engine. So top speed of this 80 ton tank is 54 kph. Not too fast. It is kind of the king of city fighting and close ambushes. It is absolutely not what I want to see as I turn a corner. If you have to deal with a demolisher, do so from a safe distance and with the help of concentrated fire. These things are a menace. Oh yeah, the demolisher is amazing. It is one of the scariest tanks you can just run up on. Two AC-20s? Whew. If you don't want anything to exist within six hexes of you, <laughs> then this is your tank. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then Grayson even found these big trucks that they could use to transport mechs on. He found gantry trucks. <laughs> Star League era gantry trucks. That's what I was, think this is the greatest of lost tech treasures. Yes. <laughs> this whole time. Brent, you've been vindicated by Kerensky himself. Wait, does it really say that? Yes. <laughs> it really says that. It doesn't say gantry trucks, but it does say, oh, we got these trucks that we can put mechs on. I don't know. <laughs> gantry trucks. It does, but I was like, is it like a gantry truck? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say it's not a gantry truck. I like to think this is where I got the idea the whole time. I always wanted to say gantry truck. <laughs> After glimpsing a number of transporter vans large enough to transport battle mechs on broad flat trailers, I feel like they're laying down. Yeah, it's it's the I, same trucks they I were using like earlier. On a gantry truck, the implies the mech is like upright in like the gantry, and they're driving it. Right. It would be sick if they're like upright. <laughs> it would be cool until you had to to turn deal with resistance <laughs> yeah. at all. You like hit the yeah, just get crushed. Oh no, it's a four way intersection. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we got to make a left. <laughs> If only we didn't have 55 tons in the back that's going to offset everything. Lori tells Grayson that she's been contacted by the Phobos and that they're free and they're on their way in. Everyone cheers. They're like, yes, we got them. I love this because Lori's in the shadow hall. Grayson is not. He's still on the ground. So she turns on her loudspeakers and she's like, hey, guess who I'm talking to? Ilsa Martinez. And Grayson's like, yes, and he like runs over to his marauder, and he jumps in so that he can get on the radio. He's already missed some of it. They got to catch him up. He's like, oh man, did Recall actually come through? I knew he was a great guy yeah. after all. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no. He's like, oh. <laughs> Ilsa Martinez tells him that she'll be grounding in about five minutes. And yes, they also talk about how Recall's guys never showed up, and- the Legion had to do it themselves. Lori's like, oh, looks like he wasn't on our side after all. But Grayson, though, he's like, you know what? I want to talk to him first. He doesn't want to make any assumptions. Not he's my like, recall. Yeah. I love <laughs> Not this. Not my recall. Yeah, he's like, no, I trust him. <laughs> and you're like, this is great. I love it. Yeah. Ilsa also tells him that she spotted a large force staged on the east side of the mountains while she was flying over. She's like, oh, there's a lot of guys down there. And Grayson figures that they won't try to move through the mountain passes at night. 
but they'll probably start moving first thing in the morning. And Ilsa remarks that a mech could get through the mountains in about an hour or two, and that those Merrick forces will be on them long before Recall's dropships get here. And the chapter ends with Grayson telling her that he thinks he's got an idea or two to slow him down. Grayson knows a thing or two because he's seen a thing or two. <laughs> yeah, he's seen a book or two. <laughs> it's true. This is primo. We have a catacomb network of tunnels to pop in and out of. Yeah, he's going <laughs> sicko mode. <laughs> this is the setup Keith loves to give Grayson. It's just yes. like, this is Grayson core. Yeah. It's like I've got yeah. I've it's got a way core. to be a squirrely, scrappy fighter. Yes. And it's just you see it reflected in that confidence of like, oh I think I got an idea. The triumphant retro wave music that's playing in my head during this whole scene is just brilliant. I mean, this is gonna be Grayson at his finest. And Keith does not just hand the keys over to Grayson. He still is vastly outnumbered, but now there's a way. We're ready. We well, are not, ready. Actually, not really. I'm sorry. We have like Apex <laughs> or whatever. He, is, he literally has like several companies. We're actually, we're not ready, yeah. but we have some tunnels and stuff. That's cool. He <laughs> does have two more AC-20s than he previously did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even says, it doesn't even say how many demolishers. I think there are, I, th I think it is plural. I think there are several demolishers present. The more the merrier. And I like how Keith used this chapter as almost like a primer, a little like break in all the tension that's been going on to say like, let's get everything set up. You know what's coming. You know what's being set up. So let's just take a moment before everything kicks off. We're going to talk about everything. We're going to set the stage. Keith does that so well. Yeah. He does such a good job of giving Grayson all the tools to work with but it's not enough to guarantee anything it's just enough to say grayson can work with something yes it feels like a move on like some strategic game board like as they're like setting up and like the merrick mechs move into the east side and then you see the drop ships move over to the field and it's like yes the board is set grayson's given one night to prepare and it's that's just enough off. To activate his special ability. Yes. yes. Scrappy fighting. It's about to pop off, dude. I'm excited. Remember, this chapter does end with Grayson telling Martinez that he's got an idea. So, yeah, I'm excited. And we'll have to see exactly what that idea is in the next chapter. Chapter 29. We open this chapter with a strategy meeting. Grayson has a map open and everyone's gathered around. We got the whole team here. Grayson tells everyone that there's two problems. One, that there's three avenues of travel through the mountains. And so they'll have to cover three separate routes. And two, that Langsdorf has enough forces to come through all three passes at once, unfortunately. And 
Grayson is smiling while explaining this, and that makes Delmar Clay very nervous, by the way. He <laughs> sees Grayson, he's just like looking deranged, and Delmar's like, oh no, here we go. <laughs> Did somebody let Grayson sleep? We're, yeah. we're looking bad right now, everyone. <laughs> Grayson goes on to tell them that, look, Langsdorf has to make a choice though, right? He can either send everything through one pass, or he can split up his forces and send them through two or three at one time. But Delmar Clay brings up the point that splitting your forces is a classic tactical error. It just sets yourself up to be defeated piecemeal, generally. And Grayson's like, yeah, but if he keeps them all together, then he'll have to pick one. And this is where Grayson points out the features of these three avenues. All right. So first, we got the Drango Gap. And that one's pretty chill. It's narrow, but it's flat. You can move mechs through there pretty quickly. And then to the northwest, we have Lee's Pass. And that one's a lot higher and rougher. It's difficult. It's got boulders and twists and turns. There's no way he could take both companies through there at one time. And then east of the Drango Gap is the Nagayan Canyon. And that's a little rougher than Drango, but it's not nearly as bad as Lee's Pass. The river runs through it, though, and Langsdorf doesn't know the terrain there well enough to move through it quickly. It says, you know, there are deep areas and shallow areas. There are fords in the river. They have a slight advantage there because they've, the Legion, should I say, has kind of scoped it out. They know how to move through it relatively well, but Langsdorf doesn't. He hasn't done the homework, so it's going to slow him down a little bit, but not that much. They'll figure it out. They'll get through it. So... Lori asks Grayson if he thinks Langsdorf will do the obvious or switch it up. I love this. Grayson says that our other problem is that Langsdorf probably has enough men and mechs to come through all three passes at once. I wanted to point that out. He says men and mechs. He almost says mechs and men, <laughs> but he reverses. We almost the order. got a title screen card, boys. Yeah. 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 I, that, I read that and I was like, oh man, that'd be cool if you. <laughs> enough mechs and men. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> so Grayson tells Lori that a good commander would do the unexpected, but that's not really an option here. He's got to send his guys through in one chunk. He's got to come through Drango. It's the only thing that makes sense because they have enough guys that they could totally, like, they really couldn't stop them if he made a hard push. It would be difficult. And then that's when McCall brightens up and he exclaims, he's like, aye, laddie. You're saying that he has gone to split his army then. And Grayson's like, exactly, right? He almost has to, you see. He's in like Grayson mode. He's got the map out yep. there and like McCall's lights up and he's like, McCall sees it. And Grayson's like, look, he knows that we know that he knows that it would be the wrong thing to do, right? He doesn't <laughs> know exactly what we got, but he's got to stop us from getting away. It's a real 4D chess kind of a situation. I love that whole explanation scene as he's going through it because Grayson's like so pumped. He's like, Langsdorf doesn't have what we have. He doesn't have to be in this terribly losing position where he's yeah. desperate for any advantage. And so that's going to work in our favor so well. It's, it's like he's got so many mechs and so much stuff that he has to make a decision where we... We get to only go with one battle plan, and it's going to be great, guys. And it's just like McCall sitting across the table, like thumbs yeah. up, smiling. Yeah. Delmar Clay's like, 
Oh boy. We're in it now. Yeah, uh oh. Here's the thing. So this is done exceptionally well. Up until now, Keith has kind of I don't want to say robbed us of these kind of planning sessions with Grayson, but usually we kind of get it narratively on the fly after the fact. Yeah. But here we get the whole like setup. We get the planning phase. It's a real good show not tell of Grayson's actual tactical prowess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is exactly what you do. And if you have a good enemy, you do exactly what Grayson does and reverse engineer what you think their plan is to help do your plan. And the, the important thing here is Grayson, he outlines some key features. He outlines what he believes is Colonel Langsdorf's critical vulnerability, which is going to be his movement through this terrain. Langsdorf is going to want to fight on the other end of this valley, but he has to get through it. Because yeah. on the other end of this valley, he can use the entirety of his forces to assault the minimal forces that Grayson has. But Langsdorf knows that Grayson is going to want to fight in these hills because this is going to give him the tactical advantage against his superior forces. And Grayson outlines all of this very eloquently, even down to like which route he reverse engineers Langsdorf's plan perfectly. He totally does. He calls it. Yes. No, I love how Grayson's sitting there thinking about it. And, and Brent, I agree completely how this is one of the big times that we get to see Grayson in the whole Grey Death Legion sitting there and coming up with this strategy. And it's not being done during the mission that we normally see. But it's so much fun to watch Grayson sitting there and like, okay, if I was Langsdorf, I know what he's got. This is what he has to do. And he's like, the biggest thing in our advantage is that Langsdorf always has to keep in mind that we can run away. Like at a, So yeah. if he doesn't cover all the exits of the valley and he pushes through one, he has to think, are they just going to leave? And if they do that, then Langsdorf loses. So all we have to do is keep that illusion alive so he has to split his force, lose the advantage. Even though we have no intention of running away because he doesn't know what we have to defend here. Right. Exactly. I couldn't have said it better myself. That's exactly it. Because that other terrain on the other side is really juicy yeah. for C Colonel Langsdorf. But you're right. If he doesn't cover all three avenues, the Grey Death Legion can just skirt around and get back behind him. Mm -hmm. And that whole conversation where he's like, and then if I'm Langsdorf, the best plan of action is to come straight up the middle and so he's like, but that, because that's the best course of action, it's the one he can't do. Exactly. So I now know his second best course of action, and that's the one. But I still expect a surprise because he's thinking about me doing the exact same thing. He's saying, what has Grayson got? And he's going to build his plan if I was building my plan. So I just thought it was a cool scene from Grayson's perspective where he and Langsdorf mentally have traded places and they're building the strategy. So Langsdorf is such a fun antagonist here. The reality is, is this is how military planning works. Well, mind you, we're, some of the bells and whistles aren't here and are kind of left to read between the lines. But more or less, this is what any kind of military planning, how it works. 
And basically what we've discovered here, and now Grayson knows, and likely Langsdorf, is that the battle has to take place in these mountain passes. That's just, the inevitability here is it has to do that. And so then they plan accordingly. Exactly. So Grayson tells them that they have to assume that Langsdorf will be coming through all three passes at once. They have to. He figures they'll probably send a pretty strong force through Drango, but he'll probably send the main effort through the River Canyon, since that's less expected. And he'll probably top it off with a little uh, light element through the twisty Lee's Pass. They'll try to push and pinch and regroup on the other side. Checkmate. They want to pinch him in like that. And I love this. Delmar Clay is just like, okay, it sounds like we're going to get rolled, dude. I mean, <laughs> it's nice to know how the guy is going to kill us, but it doesn't make me feel any better about it. <laughs> and Grayson, I imagine, he sticks up one finger and exclaims, oh, well, my friend, when you know the other guy is going to commit a classical tactical error, we take advantage of it. And he kind of like winks at Lori, like finger guns. Like, <laughs> <laughs> He's exactly right, though. He's found the weakness. Now, here's the chink in the armor. It's time to stab here. Yep. And the chink in the armor is Langsdorf cannot know that there are tunnels in these yes. mountains. And so Grayson can now easily act as a larger force moving between each corridor hitting them from flanks and the rear as well as using whatever kind of control features he has whether it be mines or other kinds of disruptive tactics to gain every little splinter of advantage that he can over him this is definitely going to make the battle an even footing it's not going to make it a guarantee however because Langsdorf still very much critically outnumbers him. Yeah. The game here is Grayson has to use his numbers to as great of advantage as he can while minimizing Langsdorf's ability to do the same. They even, in later Battletech books, okay, I just want to say it's brought up, remember this, when you're the attacker, you generally want a three to one advantage. I've actually, I've read this. They, they often say that, and that's exactly what Langsdorf has here. He has at least a three to one advantage on them. So he is absolutely in a power position. So the, what you just said, like all warfare forever has taken this into account. If you are a defending enemy, you have the advantage because your decision-making ability is better because you're able to react to the enemy instead of the enemy having to understand what's happening and then act because you are automatically in an observational state as in you're waiting on them to act so you can react faster than they can understand take in that information and then do something about it and so you're right you always want numerical superiority when you're on the attack because you have to gain a foothold and advantage over an enemy that is defending which will always have the ability to out decide an attacking force it's true. Yeah. Yes. And you got to take those numbers and double it if you're attacking the Great Death Legion because oh, yeah. that's what they do best. Yeah. Normally when you're up against a normal mercenary company, you have at least a 50-50 chance of winning. But then you take, you see that Grayson's a genetic freak and he's not, it's like, so you, that's automatically a 60-40. When you think about, you get the whole Scott Steiner promo yep. going on here. And <laughs> Lori 
Lori brings up the good point, hey, you know, this is great and all, but are we sure he's not just going to have his engineers just blast their way into the mountain and just attack us from the inside out? Because he could just do that. He has the explosives to do it. And Grayson's like, good point, Lori, but that's insanely risky. You send your guys in there, you might lose the whole army in one shot. Plus, he's like, think about this. Now, just imagine that your recon spots most of the Legion out in the open, like, uh, let's say right here, perhaps, and like points at the map. He's like, once he sees a bunch of us hanging out in the open in Drango, that's when he'll commit. And Grayson ends the meeting by telling everyone, I think it's about time to give that Nagayan Mountain League facility transport system a bit of a workout. And that's when you're like, oh, right, exactly what Brent said. They're going to use the tunnels. They're going to use the tunnels. Langsdorf doesn't know about the tunnels. That's a huge advantage. It's what's giving the Grey Death Legion a chance here, if I'm being completely honest. Without this, it's really looking grim for them. Yeah, it's so GDL, though. The whole hit and fade, like hit them and disappear thing. This is They've been doing this the whole time. It's so on Absolutely. brand. Absolutely. Yeah. But now their back is literally against the wall. So <laughs> yeah. Keith has given them a way to still hit and fade, even with that metaphor in place. I love it. Oh, and then we cut back to Langsdorf getting visibly irritated while listening to Rachan demand that he use his engineers to blast their way inside the mountain. And Langsdorf, we get the same conversation, but it's Langsdorf tells Rachan that it's too risky to waste time rigging all this up and then sending my guys into some hole in the wall. And then he's like, especially when my recon has spotted Legion forces in the open in the Drango Pass. So we learned like, that Grayson has indeed properly baited. Yeah. Langstorm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. baited. He got him. <laughs> he got him. <laughs> and it's in that format that Keith does so well that I love where it's like Grayson goes yeah. on these big rants and sets it up. And it's like cut to next scene. Langsdorf confirms everything Grayson just said. And yeah. it's always so funny to me. It makes me think of Inglorious Bastards, right? Where we're getting the scene yeah. and it transitions to Hitler going nine, 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 nine. <laughs> Dude, he's so good at it. He's so good at like set up punchline. He did yeah, it again, yeah. folks. <laughs> Langsdorf is getting, he's so irritated with Rachan, right? This guy is like a professional, but it even says, I quote, Langsdorf surprised himself as much as the Comtech people with this outburst. He was normally quiet-spoken and not given to emotional outbursts, but he can't take it. He's like, this guy's an idiot. And (laughs) Rachan's getting all high and mighty. He reminds the colonel that it is actually he who is in command here. And Rachan tells him that uh, he's willing to grant the colonel, oh, say about six hours. That should be enough time to crush the Legion and recapture the dropships. But after that, he insists the engineers be dispatched to breach the gate. If Colonel Langsdorf loses, it's right here where it happened. Yeah. The tunnels were already kind of adding a little bit of even ground to Grayson, but adding a time situation here is not going to help Colonel Langsdorf at all. And he explains it here. Yeah. In this scene, I really like how it parallels back to Mercenary Star when we were looking at the Verthandi forces under Thorvald and his ill-fated raid. And it was a lot of the same blunders 
that Rachan is making now. And Brent, you pointed out during those scenes so well that this is what happens when people that are more in the bureaucratic position step into that command seat and they start making bureaucratic commands instead of the guy who's sitting there in the field, which Langsdorf is playing the Grayson role to this whole segment and going like, you can't put us on a timetable here because we have to be able to react to Grayson. And if we don't, we might lose this no matter what advantage we have. And I really like that. I I think having Rachan echo that like cackling bad guy energy that we got from Nagomu and Langsdorf yes. just having to be this exhausted guy just doing his best. He's doing the best he can with the things that he has to work with. So the other thing going on here is that Rachan isn't giving Colonel Langsdorf all of the information he needs to plan around. Rachan has a different intent from his commanders, which means that they're at odds with each other. They cannot be working together, like truly. Rachan wants one thing out of this operation, and Langsdorf thinks he wants something else. And so, inevitably, they're going to be both displeased with an outcome if they're working in two separate directions. Exactly. They're not on the same page. That's why he's getting so mad. It says right here, Langsdorf burned with a slow inner fire at the Precentor's arrogance, but he channeled his anger, brought his anger under control. All that showed was the tensing of the muscles in his hands, closed now and fists at his side. He's so mad. I thought that, but good job. He gets it under control, everyone. You know, we could all just remember, he just takes a moment. He just breathes. He's like, hey, it's going to be all right. He, uh, good job, Langsdorf. Emotional control, boys. It's important. Langsdorf manages to express agreement that six hours should be enough time. But he does warn Rachan that Grayson is an enemy worthy of respect and extreme caution. That the one thing they must not do is underestimate the man. He tells him that if we fail to understand the way Grayson is thinking, then six years would not be enough for us to beat him. This is the thing that separates Langsdorf from anyone, with the exception of maybe Duke Recall in Decision at Thunder Rift, from all of the other enemies that he's faced. This is the thing that makes Langsdorf the most dangerous, is that Langsdorf is unwilling to underestimate Grayson and just throw him aside as just some kid. And that's what makes him dangerous here. This whole scene has been Grayson and Langsdorf respecting each other, right? That's Mm -hmm, really what this has been about. They both respect each other's ability, and that's why they're so cautious. And I love how Keith understood that so well, because he's using the argument that Rachan made to Garth on the ship when Garth was first starting to blunder. And he's like, you're underestimating this kid. This kid is not anything that you can just take for granted. And then here he is doing the exact same motions. And Keith knew that when we set up Langsdorf here, when we are going up against him, I feel like there was that great intent to set Langsdorf up as an admirable antagonist. He doesn't make him villainous. He doesn't make him stand out as like, oh, I can't root for Langsdorf as well which sets the whole scene for this coming battle that you actually look forward to seeing 
the Grey Death Legion and Langsdorf forces meeting up with each other because there's so much uncertainty to it and both are operating on good ideas. All of this is just in the background adding tension to this coming scene. Yes. Again, Keith knocking it out of the water or hitting a home run or whatever analogy that people use for these situations. (laughs) Then we cut over to the village of Drango. We learned that the people here were lamin herders for the most part. It's not that relevant. I just thought it was interesting. It says that. It says uh, the people in this village, they're mostly lamin herders. Yeah, I was like, oh, cool. Brit, we need, to, we need to take note of that. Kanan said it in the episode. Lamb and herders. Lamb and herders. I don't think, I just, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, Lament, I don't know how it says, but he-, he I, I don't out. either, yeah. A little bit of world building. <laughs> so it's mid-morning and the citizens hear the rumbling of an approaching army. Everyone comes out of their houses and then they quickly return to their houses when they see that it is in fact a column of mechs and armor- bearing the eagle crest of House Merrick. They're coming, they're rolling up into the village. Everyone feels the ground shaking, and they're all like, huh? And then they see all these mechs coming, and they're like, "Uh uh-oh. And they all run inside and close their windows and lock their doors and board up. This is where we are introduced to Captain Marinov, because he's in charge here, and he's been sent by Langsdorf to clear the pass, because the Grey Death Legion had been seen here earlier this morning. Right out in the open, the spotter planes were like, oh, there they are. Go and get them. So he's hoping he can get some action. And remember, the Drango Pass was the least hazardous of the three avenues through the mountains. So Marinov's feeling good. He's thinking he's going to get a medal, this one for sure. He's like, oh, yeah, I got this one in the bag. Easy does it. Marinov is in a Warhammer. He's flanked by two Phoenix Hawks. Right? He's like, yeah, we look good. Yeah, they're strutting on through. They're looking for some Legion mechs to shoot at. And then an explosion erupts from under one of the Phoenix Hawks. A couple of guys that were up in the hills. Stepped on one little mine and my colonel got scared. And my mechs have been blown to hell and the battle's up in the air. (laughs) (laughs) Marinov just like snaps around, like searching for a scanner reading. Nothing. There's no one. And the Phoenix Hawk is almost back on its feet when another explosion takes out a griffin. And the pilot, like, gets on the comms. He tells, like, everyone, there's explosives out here hidden among the rocks, sir. There's mines everywhere. (laughs) And then you get, like, the Mr. Krabs meme. Like, it is like he was feeling so good. And now Marinov immediately begins reevaluating his life choices. I love this little paragraph. You see his perspective change. He realizes that he saw the Drango Gap as this clean, straight shot through the mountains. He thought he was going to roll through, shoot some outlaws, meet up with the boys on the other side, flex. But with the shattering (laughs) detonations of the mines, Marinaw abruptly now sees the pass in a different light. It's like the mountains towered on either side of the gap, needle sharp. capped with glinting ice and the mayor captain now realized that the valley was a splendid place for an ambush oh <laughs> probably oh, should have i messed valley's up notorious places for ambush so yeah yeah good one marinoff <laughs> i love how keith <laughs> describes that as marinoff like looks over at the griffin and he see and then he like turns back forward the valley hills are growing 
and they're just yeah. gaining yeah. like hundreds of feet of height and they're curving yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> Swallowing him up. Yeah. You can feel the valley like closing in on him. And he's like, I've made a huge mistake. He gets a call on the radio. Captain, bogey's a two, nine or five, 500 meters. And, and like the dude doesn't even finish. Another explosion cuts off the transmission as Marinoff watches this crusader get thrashed by an avalanche of rock oh, and debris. Man. And then Legion mechs rise from the rocks around them, four to the <laughs> north, four to the south. Marinoff immediately starts blasting PPCs at the enemy. Another mine goes off, nearly knocking him over. He swivels around just in time to see an archer rain a salvo of missiles like all around him and his guys. His mech has already taken some severe damage. One of his legs has a busted knee. Marinov he turns, he sees a rifleman come lumbering through the smoke at him, just ripping <laughs> through his armor with autocannon shells. His gyro gets shredded. He's like slamming his controls. His hands are bleeding. And I do like it says two large lasers like start screaming at him and <laughs> just like, oh, the rifleman's already overheated. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> McCall's in there like, oh, it's hot, Letty. McCall's, it's so funny, dude. The Marinov, I'm getting a strange transmission over the tech. He's like, I, he can swear. He's like, he's like, I think it's the pilot of that rifleman, but he's he, it's just coming in. It, it, it sounds like he's screaming at him in some incomprehensible gibberish. And it's just like, I feel like the subtitles are like parentheses Scottish noises. Yeah, you know, just like McCall comes running out screaming at the dude and like blows his gyro out. So Marinov's like, I'm done. His cockpit is breached at this point. So Marinov tries to punch out, but no dice because the canopy is jammed. It can't blow off. He gets rocked by another hit. Yeah, he gets rocked. Warhammer topples over. The coolant tank split open. And it says that a superheated chemical fluid begins flooding the cockpit. And this chapter descends. Marinov was mercifully unconscious by the time the boiling liquid reached him. And you're like, oh my God, Ooh. dude, they get crushed. They get crushed. It it's is awesome. a scene of someone in Battletech having one of the worst times imaginable. <laughs> like, yeah. as I finished up this chapter... I was like, man, this has to be one of the most devastating battle perspectives we've gotten. I want to bring people's attention back to Verdandi with the convoy attack when they were attacking the Centurion. This is, again, the nature of ambushes. It's quick, and if the enemy is not able to like gather their awareness and effectively counter the enemy's tactics fast enough, they're dead. The Grey Death Legion experts at this point at doing this. So much so that normally in a, I would be like, oh man, the geometries of fire here, the Grey Death Legion's mechs are coming from both the north and the south. And I'm like, ooh, that's a real dangerous setup yeah. because you're going to be crossing friendly fire. However, yeah. given the terrain and likely the experience of these guys i'm willing to chop it up to they're smart enough that they're making sure that their fire is safe for friendlies but this is brutal it's it is the nature of ambushes it to me was one of the moments where by keeping it in marinov's perspective 
it made the great death legion perhaps the scariest we've seen them as a unified fighting force where so it, it just like marinov's forces never stood a chance through this whole scene and then to end with well, it also opens with marinov underestimating his enemy just yeah. as we were giving langsdorf credit for not mm-hmm. doing so enter stage right marinov <laughs> uh the last mistake he ever made. Marinov like walks up this path. All we gotta do is get to the end of Drango Pass. We're gonna get to helm down, have a drink, and wait for it all to blow over. <laughs> Easy. And then it's just like the first explosion, second like, explosion. It was only a matter of time before you made a Shaun of the Dead joke. <laughs> <laughs> He's just gotta get to the edge of the board, but this is the kind of stuff that can happen to you when you play with hidden units. <laughs> Grayson making full use of those BSPs, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And there's no Beagle Active Probe in sight. No. I do like to think that prior to this, when the Great Death Legion's in the armory that they found, you see McCall like digging through all the boxes, like, you got any double heat sinks in here? They'd really help me out. (laughs) They really would. I, I, I immediately, I was like reading that and I was like, oh, he's firing both large lasers? Oh, man. Uh, no wonder yeah. he's yelling. <laughs> I was, I won't say sad that it was McCall charging in on the, I like, screaming charge. Oh, I loved it. I love that it's McCall. But I was like, man, what an opportunity for Charles Bear to get that <laughs> melee hit oh, yeah, that yeah. he's always wanted. That's true. You know, so I wanted to say... This battle is actually not quite over yet. It continues in the next chapter, but it feels like it is, right? <laughs> at, at this point, like the dominoes will just fall at this point. So the battle does continue in the next chapter. Yep, it does. <laughs> well, the battle's definitely over for Maranov, but we'll see how the Grey Death Legion cleans up the rest of these forces in the next chapter. Chapter 30. The Merrick forces are now trapped between Grayson's command and fire lances. We see Grayson striding through the fog of war and his marauder. That crusader that got knocked over earlier gets back up just in time to get hammered by PPC bolts and AC rounds. <laughs> I like, it says, Grayson could hear McCall's Scottish curses, spine-curdling sounds that might easily confuse the enemy by themselves, which uh, is true. They totally did. <laughs> yep. Good read, Grayson. A Merrick Thunderbolt and a Rifleman come stomping up and shooting at Grayson, and Grayson realizes, oh yeah, that's that same Thunderbolt from the battle at Cleft Valley. If you remember, its uh, heavy laser had been damaged and appears to still be disabled. The Thunderbolt lines up a shot with the missile rack, but Grayson performs this evasive maneuver. He completely dodges the attack, and he starts opening up on this thing when he sees an autocannon round come screaming in from the side, like, boom, like hit the Thunderbolt, and then Lori pulls up in the Shadowhawk, and she's all like, hello, Gray, need some help? Does the whole like, oh, nice of you to join us. And (laughs) the Rifleman starts trying to help his buddy, but Delmar Clay pulls up in the Wolverine. He starts getting in on it. And then at that point, the pilot's like, you know what? You know, I'm going to die. So he tries to run. 
The rifleman turns around and tries to get away. He gets absolutely gutted. Like, he doesn't make it very far. The pilot ends up punching out. They take care of this thing, like, very quickly. And then once the rifleman hits the dirt, the rest of the Merrick mechs are just like, you know what? I'm good, actually. (laughs) They all start retreating. None of the GDL mechs get destroyed. They all take some damage, but they're all still standing. Cheryl's Phoenix Hawk is in pretty bad shape. The dutiful daughter. I hope she had a good time, though. She needed this. She's been waiting for this. That's why she probably went super hard and she got tore up. But Koga's archer is also messed up. Grayson tells them to go back to the depot for a refit. They're like, ah, I don't want to. And he's like, come on, go get patched up. You're no good like this. And as the Legion mechs start to move out, you get this shot of all those nearby villagers like coming out of their homes and stuff. And they're just looking around like, what just happened? Like, what's the, the section ends? They're just, Where'd all those Merrick mechs huh? go? <laughs> yeah. And then we also get this little part where a Merrick wasp sneaks back to the scene of the battle so that they could act as recon. They could observe the movements of the enemy, watch their salvage and whatnot. But when she gets there, the Legion is nowhere to be found. Where'd they go? The recon pilot overhead reports that they didn't fall back to the planes. They're not there. It's like the mountains had swallowed them whole. This whole battle, as we talked about last chapter, just peak Great Death Legion. The like guerrilla fighting tactics mixed with like everybody popping in. Lori in this chapter and Clay like striding up next to Grayson doing the like one two hit combos, spinning these pilots around. And the fact that we got two Great Death Legions mechs that are damaged but moving under their own power back to get refits and it's like okay first battle and that external armor refitting does not take anywhere near as long as repairing like internal structure and weapons and whatnot so those aztecs and techs are gonna probably be able to get them in pretty good working order before the next fight the most important thing though that happens here is that they did not give up their kind of center of gravity here, which is yeah. their ability to move covertly through the tunnels. If they had not egressed effectively and that had been found out, they would have lost not all of their advantage, but mm-hmm. it would have greatly put things back towards Langsdorf. Again, information is ammunition after all. <laughs> so that was the battle for Drango Pass. So now we're one out of three, right? Remember, there was three avenues. So... They were successfully able to hold them off in the Drango Pass. Good job. They did it. They crushed it. They crushed it. The next part of this chapter is about the Merrick forces attempting to make their way through Lee's Pass. Remember, Lee's Pass was the avenue with the most difficult terrain. Lots of narrow passages, changes in elevation. In a lot of places... Mechs are required to actually do a bit of climbing. It says they got to use their arms and climb up stuff and whatnot. It's tough. So we're looking at some steep inclines. Yeah. The guy leading this thing was Captain Shu Shi Lin. And the captain is not too happy about having to take his mechs through this death trap. He actually told Langsdorf that he hated the idea. They got in a bit of an argument. He told him it looked like a great way to throw away nine good battle mechs. That's what it looks like. (laughs) We'll see. By the time they get up there and start climbing their way through it, though, they can actually hear the sounds of the battle 
at Drango Pass. When they're climbing up the rocks and stuff, they can hear what's going on over there. Unfortunately for them, the Legion has access to a complex series of secret tunnels and passageways snaking beneath the mountains. And of course, this is what allowed them to be seen at Drango in the morning as bait, then disappear, then reappear to hit the Merrick forces, then disappear again. And now we see the Legion mechs emerging to the surface in Lee's Pass ahead of Captain Chu. So we get our second company commander here. This one seems a little less arrogant, and Captain Chu is critical of Langsdorf's plan, and rightly so. This is kind of the role of Captain and Colonel. They're kind of like hashing it out, and it smells like a trap. It probably is. So this one looks like it might be a little bit more tougher for Grayson. We'll see. Oh, we also learned that Sergeant Burns, remember Sergeant Burns, he's been camped up here with his armor element all night. He's got some armor and a bunch of infantry, just in case Langsdorf tried to get sneaky. Grayson was like, you should hang out there all night, just in case they try to move through the night so uh, they don't get it for free. Grayson and the gang pull up and they're like, you know, hey, Burns, what's going on? And Burns is like, yeah, we got a column of light mechs coming this way. So uh, we're just going to dig in and uh, hammer them with our tanks and infantry. And Grayson's like, uh, cool, we're just going to hold back. Let me know when you need me. <laughs> so we get a shot of the Merrick mechs traveling in a single file through this narrow, rocky pass when they start getting absolutely lit up. I mean, like laser fire, rockets. They start taking rockets and they're so tight. They're in like this tight line and they're trying to move around each other. They start shooting back. They're firing into the ridgetop. This is where Burns calls Grayson and tells him, hey, it looks like they're about to rush our position. We're hitting them, but we're just a bunch of dudes with rocket launchers and stuff, and they don't really have a choice, so they're probably going to rush us. And if they do, they're going to crush us. And Grayson's like, cool, pull your guys back. We got this. And so we get this awesome scene. The Merrick mechs, rush up the slope, and they're just expecting to encounter some light armor and some infantry, but instead, they get a marauder. And <laughs> this poor stinger gets obliterated. It's like he gets one shot. It's brutal. It just says that. He just takes him off the board. Like, the stinger's like, he, he goes over the hill, and he's like, uh-oh, and it's like, boom, and like, he's gone. He gets deleted. Grayson definitely pulls the bait and switch here. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just so cool. And the stinger gets the brunt of it. Two sentences <laughs> later, a second stinger explodes under McCall's <laughs> autocannon and laser fire. It's a bad day to be in a stinger so far. It is a terrible day for a stinger pilot. <laughs> it's like never a good time being in a stinger. Like you get a stinger like you're going to die. It's, <laughs> the stinger in these trilogies is the equivalent of having to wear the red shirt in star trek <laughs> you aren't making it through that battle no it's the zaku of BattleTech. <laughs> no one not a single stinger has survived yeah. khaled blows the arm off of a shadow hawk like seconds after this whole thing starts the merrick mechs are like all right i'm gonna head out actually and it's funny. They all start leaving. There's a Thunderbolt with them. The, the Thunderbolt stops for a second to take a shot at Lori. He's like, hold on, let me get one in. But then he immediately takes focused fire from six attackers simultaneously <laughs> before he's like, all right, bad idea. You know what? I'm going to head out. And actually, he I'm starts, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Legion mechs are like, oh, should we get him? But this chapter ends with Grayson 
telling everyone to just let him go. He's like, no, don't pursue. Just let him go. And the Merrick mechs slip away. And that's the right move, right? If Grayson's guys had pursued them, they could have pulled them out into the open and they would have lost every advantage that they had gained here in, in this like close ambush. A good showing from both sides, in my opinion here. Yeah, Grayson's definitely playing his strengths as well as he can. He knows what he's got, but he's not overconfident about it. He's right. not saying like, oh, well, we can wipe these couple would more mechs off. Working with the truth? <laughs> I'd say he's a tactical genius. <laughs> oh, I see. He's a tactical genius. And he's lucky. <laughs> and he's lucky. <laughs> and maybe another special just... pilot ability on that card, too. <laughs> yeah, I always forget the third one. <laughs> oh, combat Dude. intuition. Of yeah. course. Oh, that's true. That's, of course, combat intuition. That's his whole thing. Yep. So for our listeners that may be confused, we're speaking to... Grayson Death Carlisle's Alpha Strike card. Also for classic, apparently, according to the card, he is a 1-1 pilot. That being one gunnery oh, nice. and one pilot skill. Well, that stinger definitely felt that 1-1 one, one yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. Maybe a little bit of that lucky, too. <laughs> Get the re-roll. Yeah. Got the reroll, yeah. <laughs> but, dude, I love these scenes. It's just... Oh, yeah. It's like the board's been set and then you see everything go into motion. And like now we have two of the avenues now. The Merrick mechs have been turned back in like very uh, violent fashion. Like they get crushed. I it's awesome. also think in these battles, in the previous two books we've covered by Keith, we get to the climactic battle scene and we learn everything about that fight while we're going through it. They're played off, as we mentioned many times, like heist movie scenes. Yeah. Yeah. But that left us oftentimes confused on the location or what we're supposed to be seeing. And in this one, having that mission brief before the so battle start and laying out the passes. The key, we get yeah. all the key terrain and where who's going. And it laid out the battlefield so well. Yes. That. The pacing feels really good. We went back-to-back -back combat here. Didn't even get really a break between it other than some scouts to say, they're gone, sir. And you don't get lost. You don't get combat blind. Yeah. In the Great Death Legion series, I think this is one of the best laid out battles that we get. And and again, yeah. I, agree, I really do believe this kind of comes out in the wash. Sure, they're down two stingers, but... Chu was able to pull back their guys before they took any huge losses. And so this definitely could have been a lot worse for the Merrick mechs. Yeah. So for our first two rounds of our big battle, Grayson doesn't get a knockout, but the judges are definitely scoring him in the Grey Death Legion's favor. Yeah. The first one was a home run. The second one was like, we're chipping away at him. But at the same time, you have to think about like what panic decision making as we talked about that attacker problem of having to react and then grayson using those tunnels and disappearing and showing up immediately into a second battle yeah and when that gets back and those light mechs from so, lee's past return and they're like how did they get there there's going to be that known gap of information and grayson has that as an advantage now which means that we're going to get an assumption of if I'm Colonel Langsdorf, I'm going to either assume that Grayson has a bigger force than we expected, likely due to the cachet that Langsdorf does know about. Mm -hmm. 
Or he'll realize that they are somehow traversing. He'll have to start looking for that solution if he's going to, like, regain the upper hand. Yeah. And I bet it makes all three of those passes much scarier than the plan that was first laid out. There's more unknowns now. Langsdorf has been shown competent enough that I don't doubt that he's going to have some counter planning in this to make up for some of these early bruising battles that he's faced in oh these are blunders but i think it's far from over absolutely so that's two out of three so far but there's still one more avenue that one more hasn't been covered yet yeah so i don't know if they can get all three man that would be good yeah but they haven't evened out the numbers or anything yet so as brent said we've got a taste of it but we still got more to come I did like, there's this bit where, I didn't mention it earlier, but Grayson is watching through a camera feed. There's a cameraman, and when he tells oh, Burns yeah. to pull back, he's like, all right, pull your guys back, and Grayson's watching the camera feed, but it's so sad. The camera guy doesn't get away. He gets killed, and the camera feed gets cut, and I was like, oh, no, not the cameraman. Yeah, but yeah we get to see infantry doing their most important role, spotting. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, spotting. <laughs> For that infantryman, but yes, I like there's a line there that I think is it's kind of cheeky. It's almost like it's a little like ham fisted. So I love it. You know how I am. Keith is like, yes, the infantryman traded his rifle for the much more important instrument of the camera, (laughs) the camera. It's totally true, but it was, uh. (laughs) <laughs> and it's battle tech, so I mean, it's the huge, like, big old chunky huge, shoulder camera. Yeah. 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 I literally <laughs> saw, like, if anyone, does anyone know what the lens for, like, the javelin looks like? <laughs> oh, like the handheld, like the... The handheld. The javelin comes yeah, yeah. in two parts. There's, like, the tube that fires the rocket, and then there's, yeah, yeah. like, this little, like, like styrofoam... uh looking thing that's like a thermal camera and i like pictured like a guy like with something like that on like a tripod just like <laughs> transmitting that information into the sh- the marauder via the uh does anyone remember what it's called video over radio yeah but what's it called sigma v sigma v <laughs> yeah sigma v <laughs> yeah that's you know shout outs to that cameraman he had a oh, yeah. section i did i was sad <laughs> But. Not quite the blaze of glory like Delaney got, but it's a bad day to be a stinger pilot or a cameraman <laughs> in this battle. Yeah. So it's tense, right? But they're doing good. They've done all right so far. I mean, with what they have. I mean, they're still on. It's so desperate. But as far as losses go so far, they haven't done that much damage, but they've done some damage to the Merrick forces. But it's still tense. It's it's still tense. And remember, the um the next location is the one that Grayson predicted that Langsdorf would send the most forces through. Yep. So we still have a long way to go. Well, we will be covering that next battle and the rest of the book next week as we continue on and finish up The Price of Glory. This was another episode of Of Mechs and Men. I am Kanan Hill. I was joined, as always, by my two good friends, Brent and Aaron. And of course, we would like to thank the author of this book, The Price of Glory, William H. Keith Jr., for doing such a great job, laying such a great foundation for this universe and all the other writers and artists who work so hard to keep Battletech alive 
Of course, we would like to thank Catalyst Game Labs for being such generous stewards of the property. And we have an email. If you have any questions, complaints, concerns, corrections, please advice at heat.management. And we also, uh, we're on social media, Instagram, Twitter, at of Mex and Men. Please feel free to message us on there as well, if you would like. So the remembrance is coming up. The remembrance for the price of glory. So please don't forget to send in your trivia questions, as well as any comments or things as Kanan has already outlined that you want to have read on the show in our mail section. Right. Good point. Thank you. Oh, and um, all the platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, please feel free to uh, leave a review if you'd like, you know, a little five-star, write a little review. It always helps. Actually, I noticed we received a review recently. It's so nice. Hoosier IU1661 on Apple Podcast. He said, love going back through the BT novels I read years ago with new commentary. Very enjoyable podcast. Thank you, Hoosier. Thank you. We enjoyed it a ton seeing that show up. Very enjoyable. Yeah, that's so nice. We got a review. Yes, thank you. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. We will continue our discussion of The Price of Glory by William H. Keith Jr. next week. Until then. Remember, kids, valleys are where ambushes happen. Till next time. Selah.